Uh, my name's Randy. If you don't know who I am, glad to be with you. Um, one of the teaching team here at Vineyard Church. And uh, Claire, oh, this is dead. Hey, uh, t- Terry, would you take this back to them and get me some batteries? I actually can see pretty well. We didn't used to be able to have these nice lights up here. so But that still helps for us oldies. Um, Clara is going to be starting a master's program in spirituality at Oblate School of Theology on June 5th, 4th. Two-year program. And we have, along with other leaders in the church, kind of talked about how's this going to work. And uh, one of the arenas that is very time-consuming for her and challenging, uh, it's, it's not within that primary flow of space, is teaching and leading on Sunday mornings. So, last March, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, Tag, you're it. So, I have been teaching now since the middle of March. Uh, next week, for the next two Sundays, while we're going to be in Hungary, uh, Kevin's going to be here to, to lead you and bring uh, his thoughts. Um, and so I just want to share that, that, that we haven't really talked about that kind of thing, but if you'd be praying for her as she launches into that program, she's, she has to prepare papers in advance of the classes starting. So she is already at work reading and studying and praying and seeking God and all that. So if you would join her in prayer over this uh, season and time, that would be awesome. Thanks, Terry. We are starting a new series this week um, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we have just sort of spent a couple of months uh, talking about the atonement and why Jesus came. And at the very beginning of that last um, series, I began with talking about the nature of God. And I identified numerous characteristics of God, uh, but with a special focus on that God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, that God is love, and that God is relational. And I think one of the most profound uh, aspects to the Trinity and the work of the Trinity is in the life and ministry of Jesus. When we read through the Gospels, we have a a very Christological focus upon Christ, which is absolutely true, but the Father and the Spirit are simultaneously at work. And... We don't. We can't always grasp what is. What? How does the Trinity work? What does it? You know. What does it do? And it just seems so vague. We don't want to think about it. Well, as we spend time over the next a long time in the Gospels, we're, I want you to pay particular attention to the Trinity and the role of the Trinity. And I'm going to highlight that this morning by identifying and talking about the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. The Trinity, as the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed uh, describe the nature of God as being one God in three divine persons. And while that is fully and completely true, and we all believe it, the Holy Spirit as a person and as an active member of the Trinity has frequently been minimized through the centuries. And in contrast to Orthodox understanding of the equality and mutuality of the Trinity, I'm going to switch to the handheld if it's up here.
In contrast to the equality and mutuality of the Trinity, some have erroneously taught a subordination of the Son to the Father and the Spirit to the Son. And what that has done is it sort of left the Spirit in third place. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I can often think about one person. Sometimes I can think about two, but you had a third one, and I'm just sort of, it's a group, and I don't know what to do with a group. But the reality is that they are one God, one divine nature in three expressions. We don't have real clear physical spatial language for it because they aren't physical and spatial. And I've touched on that over the weeks. And when we read the Gospels, it's very easy to just skip the Holy Spirit. He's there all through the texts, on and on and on, but we tend to miss him. And so this morning I'm going to be highlighting this aspect of the Holy Spirit and the role that he played in the life of Jesus. Clark Pinnock, a Christian theologian, apologist and author, uh, wrote a book called The Flame of Love, a theology of the Holy Spirit that has been uh, transformational for me. And I, uh, he has a particular chapter on Christ and the Spirit. And when I was through reading it, I said, Holy Spirit, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I have missed and minimalized your participation in the atonement and in the work of Jesus. So I'm hoping to highlight that this morning in as much time as we have, um, which is not forever, though we will have a chance to talk about it forever one of these days. Clark Pinnock says this, There is a cosmic range to the operations of the Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Yet theology has often diminished the Spirit's activities to much smaller proportions and in effect marginalizing the spirit to the realm of church and piety. In Genesis 1.1, we see the role of the spirit in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving, active, participatory, over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Now, we don't have a clue what happened there that that language is nice dear that's nice but i speculate that there was a tremendous amount of power and energy that went forth in that moment when the spirit was active and maybe something like the big bang taking water's h2o right hydrogen and two oxygens So the word for water might be air if it's separated. Two hydrogens, thank you. H2, two of them, my engineering dear friend. 
Anyway, I, I'm not going to. I'm spending going to spend too long here, but I, I just was so attracted to this passage this week. And I was just, Holy Spirit, wow, you were really busy for a while, probably. And out came this incredible galaxies and gal. What do we universes and all this? And it's still growing. There's still. So there's still universe. They're not universes. Galaxies that are just expl- uh, anyway. It, it's it's still on. It's still being created. It's still at work. The Holy Spirit's really still busy out there somewhere, and here as well. Verse one speaks about God, who is Trinity, is creating the heavens and the earth. Verse two speaks of the Spirit of God's participation. Colossians 1.16 speaks of Jesus' involvement in creation, suggesting that each person of the Trinity had a part to play. But do we think about that? Not too much. We could, though. One writer suggested, in a universe that God had just created by the authority of the Father and through the work and word of the Son, it was necessary for there to be an input of energy. God the Spirit may have been the one to provide that through his action of motion and movement. Whatever the magnitude or specific activity, all three persons were involved in the Trinity, had a vital role in the creation of all things, including the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament has over 75 very clear references to the Holy Spirit. The New Testament has over 250 references to the Holy Spirit. And while the greater attention of the New Testament has been upon the life and work of Jesus, clearly the Holy Spirit plays an extremely important part that is often overlooked when we read the story. So this morning I want to just peruse some of the references to the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus so that we might become better acquainted with how the Holy Spirit worked with him and his intention to work with us. Before we do that, let's pray. Holy Spirit, (laughs) Father, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for inviting us into your community of love. Thank you for providing the means that we can join you, that we can come in, and that we can live in you and that you can live in us. Would you open the heavens? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear about you? Would we learn to expect you to work just like you worked through Jesus in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Briefly, before looking at the relationship of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, it's necessary to um, at least touch on the nature of Jesus being fully God, fully human, fully divine. 
the Chalcedonian Creed adopted at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 was a declaration to finalize the church's understanding of Jesus being fully human and fully alive. And here is what it says in part. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. Truly God, truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with us according to the manhood in all things like unto us, yet without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary according to the manhood. Though most Christians would acknowledge the belief in Jesus as fully human and fully divine, it is common to think of Jesus' acts of powers, his healing, his miracles, his casting out of demons, his calming the storm, his walking in water, his knowing the thoughts of others as actions completed as the result of him being divine nature as God. However, the Bible is clear regarding Jesus' humanity. Jesus, the Son of God, did not simply descend from the throne of heaven in the persona of of humanity, as the Greek and Roman mythological gods supposedly did, but was himself supernaturally conceived in the womb of a woman and born naturally a human child, and growing from that child through the childhood years, the terrible twos, the the growing into the childhood and the teen years. Jesus had teen years. What would that have been like? Anyway, he lived his life a human like all of us. He knew the pain of hunger and fear, isolation and rejection. He grew tired. He thirsted. He was tempted. He loved. He became angry and he was moved with compassion and grief. Though Jesus was fully God, in some way he laid aside his divine attributes and voluntarily lived as a human to fulfill his unselfish purpose to serve and save humanity. He was the second Adam, Paul speaks of him as. In Philippians 2, 6 and 8, the Apostle Paul said that though Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result of his taking on humanity and laying aside his divine attributes, Jesus, like us, needed the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live his life, to battle temptation, to respond to critics, to preach and teach, heal the sick, raise the dead, face the cross, and even to be raised from the dead. Clark Pinnock describes this very effectively. In becoming dependent, the Son surrendered the independent use of the divine attributes in incarnation. The Word became flesh and exercised power through the Spirit, not on his own. The Son's self-emptying meant that Jesus was compelled to rely on the Spirit. 
in a sense, self-emptying comes naturally to God. Creation was a kind of self-emptying when God made room for creatures, and I might add, and welcomed us into their community of love. Self-emptying is characteristic of God, who is self-giving love itself. Spirit is important for us, for our understanding the setting aside of divine nature. Spirit enabled Jesus to live within the limits of human nature during his life. The Son decided not to make use of his divine attributes independently, but experience what it would mean to be truly human. Therefore, he depended on the Spirit for power to live his life and pursue his mission. And that is huge. And without that, we might as well just turn in our cards. Because if Jesus lived his life as God and asked us to live like that, we can't. Because we ain't God. But if Jesus set aside those attributes, not that he in any way was minimized, he was still 100% God. There is no change in his ontological being. But he set it aside to live as us, the way that he was then going to invite us to live. So let's consider the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. How about Jesus' birth? How about his conception? In Luke's description, the angelic visitation with Mary related to the conception of Jesus. Mary, upon hearing the angel's words, asks the question, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Notice the words, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High. These words are reminiscent of the Spirit's work in creation, moving over the waters, hovering in the creation account. Energy and power went forth to create this amazing universe. As the Spirit's movement in creation brought the energy and power of God to creation, so the Spirit's presence and power with Mary bring a creative miracle by providing half of the genetics for the forming of Jesus in Mary's womb. That's pretty cool. Jesus' baptism. In the account of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, Luke describes the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him. We're very familiar. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened and John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Being baptized in water and the Spirit, along with the words of the Father, shows this interaction of the physical and the spiritual. It provides to Jesus impetus, empowerment for life and mission. 
In this account, the spirit is, is pictured as a dove descending upon him. Interesting. Why is this? Why a dove? One person referenced and suggested perhaps it was meant to remind us of how after the flood of Noah, a dove was sent forth and came back with a fresh olive branch in its beak and let them know when new creation was available to them. The dove representing this message of new life. The dove coming, symbolizing a new beginning. And in Christ, a new humanity. John the Baptist's testimony the next day. John made a statement um, the day after Jesus' baptism that clearly connects Jesus and the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I did leave out some material. My thing was too long. So there's a reference, and it is here, uh, by John the Baptist about Jesus speaking of one who would send forth and baptize in the Holy Spirit. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pure prophetic revelation on his mouth. He did not know that. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one in whom will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. In that moment, there was a a presentation of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit that ignited in Jesus a newness of life, a newness of mission, an empowerment for living that we are invited to. This very same declaration of the Father is meant for you. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. Within you I am well pleased. Receive my spirit to empower you to fill you with the eternal kind of life that is now available, that's within reach, that's within grasp. Receive this life. Receive the Holy Spirit. As a represent Jesus' temptation, Luke describes the following. Right after his baptism, he is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and he is tempted by the devil. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. I like that. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. He, he's baptized. The Spirit descends. The Spirit remains on him. And now Jesus is living full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. As a representative, as the second Adam, Jesus was going to have to experience what Adam experienced and conquer it. 
the temptations were aimed at his vocation as the anointed representative of humankind. And all three of them simply were saying, give that up and bow down to me and I'll give you more, which would really be less. And he still offers that to us today. The Spirit knew that Jesus had to endure trial and choose the Father's will. Jesus had to choose. He had to make a choice, just like we do. Yes, did he have a connected relationship with the Holy Spirit? Sure did. Yes, did he have a connected relationship, interacted with the Father? Sure did, but Jesus still had to choose. Because love requires a choice. The Spirit knew that Jesus had to endure these things and to choose, but Jesus was not alone in the battle. Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and nothing in the text would suggest that the Spirit left him there alone. Have a good time, Jesus. That's going to be really fun. I'll see you when you get done. No, he remained present, full of the Holy Spirit, empowering him to deal with temptation, the greatest temptation that could ever be imagined. With and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus rebutted Satan's temptations, enduring the testing, and he overcame the adversary. Jesus experienced real attack in the temptation. This was not play acting. It was not through confidence in his own power or his knowledge of the scriptures that he faced temptation. Victory over temptation was not achieved in his own strength. And is that not what we think? Have we ever thought of, oh wow, Jesus was there, the Holy Spirit was there with Jesus. Wow. Jesus wasn't alone in that temptation. Don't we always picture Jesus alone? Jesus was never alone. You are never alone. Jesus, like us, struggled against sin as mortal and corruptible, not immortal and incorruptible. Jesus overcame sin by the power of God through the Holy Spirit and in doing so modeled the lifestyle of faith and choice for us all. Jesus surrendered himself, trusted in God, overcoming sin, the flesh, and the devil in the power of the Holy Spirit as we must. The beginning of the Jesus' ministry. Following Jesus' temptation, Luke tells us of Jesus' beginning of his ministry. Luke 4, 14-15 and Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit. Then Jesus, filled with the power of who? Jesus was not filled up with himself. Everybody say, Jesus was not filled up with himself. He was filled up with the Spirit. He returned to Galilee And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to preach the good news of God. He teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. 
It is vital that we see that the ministry and work of Jesus from this moment forward in his life was all, was all empowered by the Spirit. There's not a case in the Gospels, including knowing their thoughts, that Jesus did that as divine. Oh, well, he's God. He knows what everybody's thinking. No, he knew what they were thinking in that moment because the Holy Spirit gave him understanding of it. Jesus did not say, arise to the lame and the dead because he could, but because that was what the Father was doing And that's what the Spirit empowered him to do. The Gospel writers are clear from the beginning to the end of Jesus' life and ministry, he was full of the power of the Spirit and led by the Spirit and comforted by the Spirit. In the synagogue at Nazareth, Luke continues the storytelling of Jesus going to the synagogue in his hometown. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, but he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of God's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. They taught seated in that era. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he said, Today this has come to pass. I am who Isaiah was speaking of. That is me. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. And initially, the response of the townspeople was, well, this is really cool. And then they got up rocks and tried to kill him. Because somebody figured out that he was saying something really significant, like that he was God or something. Imagine that. From these words, it was evident that the power of the Spirit was upon Jesus for the benefit of the world. Jesus came as the anointed one, preaching good news of the kingdom, performing signs of life and new creation. Jesus proclaimed good news to the poor, proclaimed freedom to captives, freedom to the oppressed, mercy to the sick, and sight to the blind. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus announced and effected wholeness. In human beings. He announced a God who wills human wholeness. This is what God wants to have happen now. Today. In you and through me. And through you. And in me. By the Spirit, Jesus set people free from entrapment. 
He brought them hope and liberated their relationships. Demonic powers were driven out and dignity of life was restored. All this happened because the energy, the power of the life-giving spirit who was a part of the creation of the worlds filled Jesus with power and leading and understanding to do it. His power ministry, casting out demons... Matthew chapter 12. In this passage, Jesus was condemned by the religious leaders as being a worker of the devil. Jesus counters with a declaration of the authority under which he operated. Then they brought to him a demoniac who was blind and mute, and he cured him, healed, mended, made whole. Sozoed him is the word. So that the one who had been mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Is this the guy? Is this the Messiah? He's really like cool. Like, wow, he's doing stuff that like he's, you know, that passage in Isaiah. Remember that one that we read on Sunday at the synagogue? That's what he's doing. But when the Pharisees heard it. It's only by Beelzebul, the devil, the ruler of the demons, that this fellow casts out demons. Jesus, knowing their thoughts through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, said to them, words given to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your own exorcists then cast them out? Therefore you be the judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The kingdom of God is present through the activity of the Holy Spirit in human beings. That's the kingdom. The life that we're invited to live is a life with God connected in intimate, interactive relationships such that we do what Jesus did. That we be Christ-like in this world. The Spirit enabled Jesus to do his mighty works, including setting people free who were in bondage to the devil. Anybody know of anybody still in bondage to the devil out there? In your own house, maybe? Jesus was not a wonder worker who sought to dazzle and impress. He was not a sensationalist. Rather, as much as possible, he told people not to tell others about what they had experienced. But hey, when you're blind all your life or lame or unable to walk, being healed's a pretty big deal. How could you not praise God and tell the world about Jesus? Jesus would not perform signs merely to satisfy curiosity or even to overcome unbelief. The purpose of healing and miracles was salvation, sozo, in body and soul. 
and they occurred as a result of the interactive presence of the kingdom of God through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a human being named Jesus, who happened to also be God. Through the activity and work of the Spirit in and through Jesus, the kingdom of God was at hand. It was within reach and it was available to all and it still is. In persecution and trial. In Matthew 10, Jesus speaks to his disciples. It's right before sending out the 70 to minister. And he tells them about the experience that they're going to have. This isn't going to be easy. It's going to be a little difficult and a little challenging, but the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. Because I'm not asking you to do this on your own. That's what he says, Matthew 10, 16-20. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. Thanks, Jesus. Wow, that just sounds awesome. I'm so looking forward to it. So... Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We'll talk about that in a few months. Beware of them, for they will hand you over. Who? Them. The wolves, right? Isn't that the them? I think so. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to the councils and flog you in their synagogues. That kind of sounds familiar. And you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me. Hmm. That kind of sounds like what happened to Jesus as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. How true this was for Jesus too. As Jesus experienced the greatest trial of his life in Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, He faced death the same way he faced temptation, in the power of the Spirit. As in the wilderness facing temptations of the devil, the Spirit filled him and empowered him to say yes to God, to make that choice at that moment of his greatest human trial. As human, Christ cried out for the cup to pass from him, but as Spirit-filled, He prayed for God's will to be done. He is our example of what we need to be like facing the trials and temptations of our lives, not on our own, not by ourselves, but through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus had promised that the Spirit would be with his disciples, giving them words to speak before councils, governors, and kings, so the Spirit gave him Words to speak, as well as being silent before his adversaries. Ever thought about that? For somebody who talked a lot, he was kind of quiet for most of that. As the Holy Spirit was with Jesus from conception through life, he would also be with him on the cross and in death. I would advocate, there is nothing scriptural to support it, but I would, I would advocate from all of these other texts that the Holy Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit on the cross and that's why he could endure it. And when it was done, his earthly life in that form 
as fully human, he said, it is finished. It is teleos. It is whole and complete. This part of my life is done. Empowered and full of the Holy Spirit, he speaks forgiveness to them from the cross through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't experience what Jesus experienced and not have a little bit of thought about, God, would you just bring those you know, 72,000 angels and just kind of do something here for us, please? That'd be really helpful right now. This doesn't feel very good. But as the Holy Spirit was with Jesus in his conception, as the Holy Spirit was with him in his baptism, as the Holy Spirit was with him in the wilderness and his temptation, as the Holy Spirit was with him in Gethsemane, as the Holy Spirit was with him in the, at the cross, the Holy Spirit was with him in his resurrection. When we think of Jesus' resurrection, we know, of course, that God raised Jesus from the dead But in John 6, Jesus says, it is the Spirit that gives life. The prophet Ezekiel speaks of the Holy Spirit as the one who is the one who will be involved in resurrection life. Ezekiel 37, you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my Spirit within you and you will come to life. And I will place you on your own land, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and declares it, the Lord. The one who raises the dead is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and the Father and Jesus were involved in that resurrection. I don't know how, because that one's bigger than us. It's bigger than what I can imagine, but it happened. And it happened through the power of God, and the empowering power and energy of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul references this in Romans 8, saying, Concerning the Son, he was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, but was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead through the Spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Pinnock, again, describing this well, Jesus' resurrection marked the beginning of new creation, the commencement of the age to come. Death will no longer have the last word. There is hope for humankind. The cross happened because of the Son's fidelity to God's call by the power of the Spirit. In the Son, the Father participated in the sufferings of the world. The crucified one was not abandoned in death but was raised to life. The victory was won by the power of love, by spirit, who led Jesus to self-surrender and brought him back from death. It is clear that the Holy Spirit was active, participatory, involved in the life of Jesus. From conception, through his life and ministry, with him in his death, expressing the very energy and power of new life that raised him from the dead and reformed his body into a new, eternal kind of body. A new creation. All things have become brand new, Paul declares. 
from conception, birth, baptism, ministry, death, and resurrection, Jesus lived in an intimate, interactive relationship with the Holy Spirit and with the Father. In Christ, God gave himself a human heart, as it were. At Jesus' baptism, the Father said to Jesus, You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. And throughout his life and in Gethsemane, Jesus replied to the Father, You are my Father. I have come to do your will. And through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Jesus did just that. I'd invite you to close your eyes. And we're just going to pause. I'm just going to allow you to connect with some of what I've said. Just take a moment. We've got things to do, places to go. But let's just take a minute or two and just be still. And I, I want to invite you again to imagine yourself in a safe place. A place perhaps where you physically have been and you have a memory of a location of a meadow or the beach or a mountain uh, experience, whatever. And I want you to just imagine yourself there. God has given you an imagination to be a part of our ability to connect with him. So find yourself there in that place of peace. And God is there because he is always with you. And Jesus is there for he will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Holy Spirit is there always filling you with the fullness of God's love. And I invite you to be with the Trinity in your mind, in your heart, in your imagination. You have been invited into their community of love. They have invited you in. And even now, they're, they're stretching out their hands to you and they're saying, come to me, dear one. Be with them as they are with you. What might you want to say to them? now would you just say to them what would you say to me and listen to their words in your heart
Father. Jesus. Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for filling me. Help me to do your will. Help me to live interactively with you in everything, in every area of my life, in every relationship. Might I learn to lean not on my own understandings, but to lean on you, to welcome you, to invite your guidance, your leading, what is best. We desire to do your will. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with all the fullness of the Godhead. Fill us with all the fullness of your love that we then will love you more. That we will love those near us better. And that we will love your lost and hurting world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us this week. We've got folks that will be up here uh, that would love an opportunity to pray with you. If God is stirring in your heart in a sense of something, uh, him saying something to you this morning that you would like to share with someone to have them come alongside what you've heard or what you sense, then come on up to the front. There will be people up here that will uh, be with you and pray with you. Bless you. Have a great week.